Hey, good people, how we doing, how we doing? So first off, I wanna thank those of you who have been so reactive and responsive to the Black at LREI episode. We've gotten so many people that are sharing their experiences, sharing their stories, sharing their opinions and perspectives, and we respect every one of those reactions. Please keep on reacting, please keep on sharing. This helps us grow as a community. Today, we have someone who I reached out to because her story in dealing with the institution of LREI is so impactful, so powerful. I pray you guys listen. I pray you guys interact with it because you can get so much out of this story, guys. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Peace. Hey, good people. How we doing? How we doing? So today we have someone really special, right? Um, we did the Black at LREI episode and it got such an overwhelming um, response to it. And one of the people who reached out that, whose story I just fell in love with, um, is the person we have today, right? Um, Kim Hill, say what's up to the good people. What's up, good people? <laughs> so uh kim i reached out to to kim in uh via dm i i dm slid for a good purpose and you did uh, <laughs> do a dm slide <laughs> <laughs> and um I, she she reached back out um and sent me this amazing igtv video that she did with her and her son cassius can you talk a little bit about that video what inspired you to, to make that Yes, so um, I am a mom to a pretty incredible um, boy who's 10 years old. His name is Cassius, and he attended um, Little Red from kindergarten until fourth grade. And uh, kindergarten was a, a really smooth year. And then from first grade on, it was like, you know, what are the, what is, what's the ride at the amusement park where you start at the top and it's just a free fall, <laughs> you just drop, <laughs> yep. you know? Um, so my wig was crooked and my knee highs were rolled down and my skirt was caught in the seat belt and his hat <laughs> fell off and it, it just, it was very, it was just, it was clumsy and it was just, it felt like all the time it was something. It mm -hmm. felt like parenting him through the optics of that school was a full-time job um, that I wasn't getting paid for, but I paid a high price for. Mm -hmm. And um, when I decided to speak on it, it was, it was really the final straw in the Scarecrow and Mrs. King hat. And I was like, we're done. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I spoke with Cassius about it, I said, I, you know, how do you feel? At, at this point, Cassius and I had done programming together we have a show we do called mother dot 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 hood and then making medicine with kim which he's you know completely just jumped all over mm -hmm. and so i knew he'd be comfortable enough but i wasn't sure if i wanted to put him out there for the scrutiny of others right in such mm -hmm. a protective space as his mom and a couple days went by and we talked about it and i I was kind of trying to talk myself out of it because I really did not want to do it. And then one day he woke up, he's like, we need to do this. This is going to help kids. And this is really going to help me really exercise my voice. 
And because um, you really don't know if you have a voice until you're using it. Like you have all these thoughts. You can, you know, you can tell somebody off in your bathroom mirror. You are the best at it. You've got all your bullet points. You talk, But until you're face to face, you don't know if you're going to clam up or if you're really going to say what's on your heart. Yes. And that's where healing begins. That is where the healing journey starts is really, you know, the honesty of the tongue, you know, yes. and, and, and doing enough spiritual work and therapy and speaking to friends and, you know, beforehand to hope that what you speak really lands right, really lands in the heart of the person you're trying to convey it to. And um, it, it, it was so powerful doing this piece because we freestyled it. And yeah. it just has been like so overwhelming. I'm hearing from people all over the world. I'm hearing from people who, you know, um, have dealt with this, who want to speak on it, who are afraid, who understand what the price looks like. Um, mm -hmm. I'm now looking for signs in their own children. So anyway, I, listen, help me out because obviously <laughs> I'm long-winded. So you go ask me one and, question and, and it's going to be a dissertation. <laughs> no, we love it. We love it. We love it. Because, and, and this is the so, thing, right? So watching the video, if you haven't watched it, right, I, I'm going to link it in the uh, podcasting for you guys to watch. Um, if you haven't seen the video, the rapport between Kim and Cassius is, is so pure and so genuine. And one of the things that stood out to me the most yeah. is that he's able to express himself so much, right? Um, if you don't know Kim Hill's history, she has a, a, a history of being an artist and, and being expressive, right? But in an environment where Cassius is going through all of these things that diminish his voice, and we're gonna get into how his voice is diminished, was diminished later, um, but how do you instill that, that desire and passion in him to be as expressive and be as vocal? Mm, that's a great question. And parents ask me that. That's probably the most. Um, well, we did therapy. And I know at times in our, in our community, in our culture, and in marginalized communities, um, having therapy can be taboo. And I really am here to advocate for people taking agency over themselves and demystifying, you know, um, that and using it as a tool that can really help empower, you know, the voice you have within your home. And, um, you know, so it, it, it's my faith. I'm very, very close to my family. There wasn't a conversation I could not bring to my mother mm. or my grandmother or any of the people in my home. And I was the wild card. I was the like heathen youngest that was like <laughs> doing cartwheels in church and, you know, smoking and skipping school, you know. So, mm -hmm. I, but I was able to make mistakes and there was discipline and there were boundaries, but I didn't feel like I was always being cast into, you know, the lion's den. So yes. I, I, I have great examples in, in parenting. Um, and I just, I, I, I use those things. I'm a single mom and I was not going to allow Cassius to fall in that gap of this stereotypical yes. black boy and black mother. And, uh, you know, it's always despair. Our life is amazing, yeah. but I fight, I fight and I take everything to the mat because I understand the agenda to silence black children. Um, and it is so, so prevalent. It is so prevalent. I, for Again, for those of you who did not listen to the Black at LRI episode, I was there from eighth grade up until graduating high school. Um, 
personally, I, I um, didn't hate the experience. I actually really loved it. I thought it was a second home. But I do realize that there were microaggressions. There were macroaggressions. There were um, overt um, acts of, of maybe racism or, or prejudice, right? Uh, definitely stereotyping all the way through. I talk to my mom and she always tells me stories of, of just prejudices that, that have come out. I wonder in speaking to uh, the staff, the faculty, especially the faculty that are not of color, um, what was the, the initial ways that you tried to bring up your, your issues? Because I feel like a lot of parents don't know how to get those initial conversations going. Great question. Um, I, I want to take a beat to just um, applaud you. I listened to the podcast. I had no idea who um, was running Black at LREI, um, uh, and I'm still not sure, and it's not my business. It's, it's, it's amazing. Whoever's doing it is doing an incredible job. Mm -hmm, I applaud yes. you for getting with the leadership at the school and, you know, um, speaking with alum, and it was a really, really great podcast. Thank um, you so much. And... Of course, I mean, this is this is what it this is what it this is what it's about. And so I'll say this, kind of passing the baton from that episode, which was comprised of students or alum, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking as a parent, it was like biting my tongue, you know, blood in my mouth, because to know that all of these things that students have to manage. Um, I can't remember who it was in the podcast that said, you know, maybe students come in on Saturdays and, and, and I'm going, black bodies need a break. You yes. cannot be going 24 seven. I mean, I'm not, she had amazing ideas. Mm -hmm. It's like at some point, and this is where the mamas come in mm -hmm. and they don't want to see us turn that corner on sixth Ave and come up there and do <laughs> those double doors. I bet they want to hire somebody just for, just for moms like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not your portion. It's not your burden to do the heavy lifting of this work. Yes. You are children. And even though you're, you're a grown man, you, you're, I could be your mama, or, or at least you're a really cool aunt. <laughs> you know? And, and I have to be loud about stop putting the burden. I know firsthand with Cassius, what that burden looks like on these bodies and it's devastating yes it's devastating and yes. they have no idea what they're sending these children home with they have no idea what it looks like for a child who's seven years old to get on a subway from mill basin and take three of them to get to the front doors they have no idea what it's like for them to hold themselves in a morning meeting because their white counterparts walked two blocks they yes. have no idea and that's the morning kyle we're we're at 8 42. yes <laughs> we haven't even gotten to opening a book hmm. yes i you remember understand? You, you know <laughs> i, I want to how do we get to the conversation or to the point where we can break through and make people empathetic, right? Because one of the functions of, you know, of private schools is so that certain parents and kids and sectors of the society don't have to deal with the other people, 
like the, uh-huh. the, the poor right. people, right? How do we pierce through and get them to, to think about these things, right? Be cognizant of these things. Well, where I'm at, and I, I'm, I'm a radical. So mm-hmm. I, I'll be 50 one week from today, God's grace, one week from today. God bless. I absolute, amen. I refuse to sit up with white people mm-hmm. and try to help them build empathy. Mm. If that is not your every day, I don't have anything to say to you. Wow. Well, good morning and good night. I don't. Wow. I refuse. Mm. Do you understand? I have been blessed to live long enough to be the descendant of slaves yes. and the indigenous people of the Americas. I'm done asking permit. Well, first of all, I was raised in a house where we're not asking white people for permission. You be courteous, you be kind. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to ask for a seat at your table. I've got my own tools. I've got wood. I've got a saw. I'll build my table. And just so everybody hears this, I'm not di- I'm not dissing Salon. She is like my niece from another <laughs> from another auntie. <laughs> because what she was trying to say is, I created this seat at the table. Yes. But you know, we went after we, you know. Uh, and please don't let me forget, I'm going to write it down to talk about Angela Davis. Yes. You know, you had kind of two options. It was either like, you know, civil rights or the radicals of the Panthers. And and there was this big gap afterwards that kind of felt like, okay, we're glad to be free and we can assimilate and we're in these schools and we're, we move from, you know, having midwives to being in hospitals because we wanted to assimilate to have this idea of as close to whiteness as possible, that has been our Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I will not, I will not be sitting with any more white people talking about building empathy. And if you're not seeking that because it's for your higher good, mm. that's fine. That's fine. Mm. I'm too busy over here building black excellence. Whew. We have to shift the paradigm. You want to be over there? Listen, let me, let me ask you how crazy this sounds. Because mm-hmm. this has happened to me personally. I have a great rapport with the parent community at, 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 at LEI. Mm-hmm. I will say that, black, white, and indifferent. And I can't tell you how many mothers whose husbands were Goldman Sachs finance guys, or you know what I mean? These, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking dumb money, right? Some generational, some buku news right? Mm-hmm. That would ask me to go to LPQ or a cafe and go, how are you happy? Because they were probably like, I look at your black ass. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you're rubbing two nickels together because, you know, before we bought the house in, 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 in Jersey, mm-hmm. I was, you know, Cassius and I were in the top floor of a two-bedroom brownstone. And listen, our place was fly. We were in very gentrified bedside. Mm-hmm. You know, we had four times a week in a bodega with organic food. We were living a life, right? Yeah. But to them, when you have a Tribeca, you know, apartment that's 12 million, mm. and, you know, and this is not to stereotype, this is not to put everyone in a brown bag, in a, in a, in a, but I'm saying, in my experiences, for some of the women that I love dearly, that mm-hmm. needed medication to just deal with spring break because they had to be with their kids for two weeks, yeah. Because their nannies needed a break. They're like, how do you do it? I'm like, you don't, you don't know your children. Exactly. And you still may not like them, but when you're 
marginalized, we don't have the luxury of having nannies. So we have to get to know our children. We got to live together. It's so important. You know what I mean? It's so important. And so to answer your question, um, you know, how do, how do I help parents? Mm -hmm. I, I, I remind them whose they are, who they are the survivors of, mm. and ask yourself how much energy you want to spend at these round tables with white people that are not willing to do their work. Ooh. Because you, you will find yourself mm -hmm. pulling your wig off every single day. Wow. So I, I did it. I did it for years. I had leadership roles at Little Red. I was co-chair of the Caramu my first year. Then I was the lower school co-chair of Big Auction. Then for three years, I was co-chair of POCOC. I've done the Courageous Conversation. You know what I mean? I was in small rooms. I'd hear faculty not realizing I was a parent downstairs. And mm. the things I'd hear faculty say about other children made me want to vomit. So yeah. I know they talked about mine. Yeah. I know they talked about me because I was a knucklehead back then. <laughs> I, I, I think and, but that... But here's the thing. Yeah, go ahead. You were made to feel like you were, though. Do you understand? Yeah. There's white knuckleheads all over the school. Yes, that's big. And that's you what I want to get into. You feel like that. I, I had an um, a episode with a reunion of a lot of my eighth grade friends from Little Red. And one of the only other um, black man or black boy at the time in my grade, uh, we talked on the episode about the evaluations and uh, the, the learning disability <laughs> diagnoses, right? And yeah. I had... The, my saving grace, and I, we talked about this via text, my saving grace was that my mother was an educator and a, mm. a highly esteemed educator. So she knew how she knew how the system worked and she wasn't going to go for that, right? This other uh, young man, still friends to this day, he didn't fare so, so well, right? Um, right? Talk a little bit about, because I know it was traumatic for him and it was traumatic for me when they were trying to push me into that. Talk a little bit about uh, your experience with that, with Cassius. Well, uh, first of all, I'm sorry. I, I mean, the, these things, when I say it break, it like honestly breaks my heart as a parent. Um, and I have, you have to remember, I'm a late bloomer. So I have nieces and nephews in their mid thirties. Um, so because my brother and sister are nine and seven years older than me. So I watched them go through it too. I watched my black nephews. Mm -hmm do a cartwheel in, in homeroom and they're like, he's got ADHD. And, I, and we'd be like, for real? Mm. Um, <laughs> so it is real. Um, my son was evaluated. I speak to that in my video. Mm -hmm. And in my evaluation, in Cassius's evaluation, he was not diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, but instead anxiety due to racial bias. This is in black and white in an evaluation. Uh, the evaluation said he was at grade level for reading and math and in a referral level letter mm -hmm. from the principal. And I'm going to say names because this is how we heal and Please I'm do. not protecting white people. Please do. Faith Hunter in her recommendation to another school referenced a behavioral and learning issue. Mm. I want to say that again. It was established in an evaluation that I paid several mortgages for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
that he did not have a learning or behavioral issue and in a recommendation to a school, which should just say, what a loss for us. This is a great kid. He's mindful. He's funny. He's great. You will be fortunate to have him. And that's it. Mm-hmm. She decided to write an essay that for her is interesting because she can't substantiate it. That's wow. highly problematic. That puts a target, yes. right? If I wasn't Cassius's mother, if your mother wasn't an educator, right? Mm-hmm. It would be thrown to the wolves. Well, every, my brother says this, my brother's a pastor. He said, every Cassius deserves a Kim. Wow. That's so true. Every black kid doesn't have a mother that's like, I'm going to be at your office tomorrow at 245. That's a big point too, because a lot of times, right, um, as, as great as it is that you were able to do this and be a part of so many uh, groups, right? You have people like my mom who, you know, she who's a principal up in Harlem, right? Like, the, right. and we lived in Brooklyn. So it's the, the, the span of just traveling that sure. is, is, you know, you're not gonna be able to be at the school as, as much, right? So then your voice gets lost, right? Absolutely. And you're putting your kid in the hands of these people who are supposed to be uh, so progressive and so caring. And I I don't want to take away from the good teachers because there are good staff there, the good faculty, good administration there. But there are elements that it hit, I'll say it like this, it hit me so much when you said, um, when you spoke about the touching, right? And um, people pulling up his shirt, pulling up Cassius' oh, yeah. shirt and, yeah. uh, you know, playing with his hair and all these things and what would happen if it were the other way, right? It's this image. Better burn of, the school down. Exactly. This image of who who we are as, as young black boys, right? And this uh, desire to kind of, I don't know the word, silence? Not silence. Sterilize, maybe? Well, Oh, you can keep going. I, I'm sure everything that comes out your mouth will be appropriate. Yeah. Yes. How do we all of the above? How do we get? And, and again, it's you. You established that you. We don't want to explain anything else. We don't want to seek empathy anymore, right? But there, there has to be diversity and inclusion in these spaces, and we don't want to keep putting young black boys through this trauma, right? How do we get to the place where these educators and these and these administrators know, like, no, they're not crazy or they're not disruptive or they're not uh, whatever they want to evaluate them as. They're just young kids, being young kids. They're seven. They're yes. seven. That's what they are. They're seven years old. Yes. Okay. And, you know, I know my son is going to continue to do things throughout his lifetime that will be a disappointment to me. You just have to reconcile that as a parent. I'm mm-hmm. 50 and my mother cringes when she's like, what happened? You know, <laughs> it, it, it's just, you, you know, it, people have to have permission to fail. Now, I'm not saying be reckless, yeah. you know, and there are just some hard lines that I draw with my son that he just knows. That yeah. the, the thing that makes this very interesting to any white person, and I, I hope white people, well, you know what I mean, whoever listens to this is who's supposed to hear it, but I will say this, mm-hmm. you know, when what white people really don't quite understand are the cultural um, uh, uh, touch points in blackness and the way we're raised, right? So yeah. when our children enter 
Little Red and they can call teachers by their first name. Our kids are in culture shock the first three months because yep. in our culture, you do not call an adult by their first name. Period. What did I call they you when we, when we texted? Exactly. You yep. called me Miss Kim and I was like, I can't, you can't do that. But I, <laughs> you, you, you showed me that deference and respect and then I could pull back and go, just call me Kim, right? Mm -hmm. But that's how you're raised. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with kids that were raised to call adults by their first names. Mm -hmm. It's just understanding the nuance in how we are raised yeah. and these, these cultural, you know what I mean? And, and that our kids have to code switch off the gate. So, you know, um, them finding a voice to express what they feel when they yeah. feel like they're being othered by other students and teachers don't see it conveniently teachers religiously saw my son's response, but never saw what they couldn't tell me why my son responded in the way he did, because they didn't see what initiated it. But my son did. Mm. Yes. Right. Yes. Cassius more so than not would respond to things, maybe not always in the best way, but he really wasn't the kid to start that, that, that smoke. Yeah. So, but how we finish stuff, you know, Cassius, <laughs> he moves the world kind of like his mom. We are squeaky wheels. So I'd be like, Cassius, can you just not be <laughs> so loud? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you mentioned trauma, but that goes hand in hand with this. When you're mm -hmm. in these spaces and you have to keep repeating yourself, you almost, re not almost, you re-traumatize yourself. Yes. So what kids start to do is they're like, then I'll just go numb. I'll just be quiet. Mm. And that builds up. And then on a random Tuesday, you look like you're wiling out because for the last three weeks, you've just been quiet. Boom. You've held all this stuff in your little bodies. Yes. And you're watching other kids get away with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right. So these are the cultural things that come with this kind of diversity that they want. And it's important for everybody to understand that black and brown bodies are raised under different um, societal norms. The things mm. that apply to your white kid don't apply to mine. Your kid can have fun and go under the turnstile at the subway. Mine yeah. can't. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, you can't do it. I almost, God bless my son, I almost choked him grabbing his hoodie, thinking he was going to go under the turnstile behind one of his friends that was not black. Yes. They were just having fun, but I, I I was like, he was seven. I was like, you're going to go to jail. And there were two officers on the other side, an Asian officer and a black officer. Mm -hmm. They're like, ma'am, they're being kids. I said, but that's because I'm here. Yeah, exactly. It could be any other day with any other officers. And, you know, all you need is that one thing when you go down to central booking. And that's on their record forever over being an impulsive child. It's no different in school. Because that's really where the policing of black bodies start, which is why yeah. the pipeline from pre-K to prison is a real thing. I'm not making it up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I feel like, wait, go, go on. No, 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 please. Stop the train, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love the train. This, this is amazing. This is so great. I, I feel like the, the handling, right? You said something that made me laugh just because I, <laughs> I don't prefer her music, but it's this neither here nor there. Um, you said Taylor Swift is the most dangerous <laughs> type of white girl, right? <laughs> and um, I, I love that quote personally. Um, but 
and I talk to my mother about this a lot, right? There's an importation of a lot of um, white teachers, especially now in, in communities of color. But at LREI, it's different, obviously. Um, we're not as, as represented. Um, there seems to be a disconnect with knowing how to handle Black boys. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, you can't help how people are raised or, or where people come from or what they are experienced with or what they are exposed to or what they're not exposed to, right? But speak a little bit to the responsibility, if you're going to be a teacher or an administrator, to, to understand, right, how to handle yeah, of course. kids. Yeah. Well, this, this is two pieces here. I'm really going to try to make this succinct because this is probably one of the things I want to be most salient, okay? There's a cultural piece to this, mm-hmm. right? And there is the, 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 the Hippocratic Oath, right? This is in the state of New York. I did not write this. This is mm-hmm. something that you could perhaps include in a link. Mm-hmm. There is a New York State Code of Ethics of Educators, Okay. So let's take this, let's, my mother says you can only eat an elephant one bite at a time. Let's take this first bite about white teachers and black boys. Um, from the beginning of time here on this soil, black boys, from as young as Emmett Till to as old as his great-great-grandfather, have been brutally beaten, murdered, or killed for looking at a white woman, mm-hmm. for whistling at a white woman. Whether it happened or not, just the fact that you even think that you're worthy enough to lay your eyes. If we don't think that that's not cellular from generation to generation, mm-hmm. if you don't think white teachers are byproducts, of some racist great-great-grandfather, right, that mm. referred to black boys as the N-word or boy, or don't mm-hmm. you bring him home. See, what they get with Kim Hill, I grew up in not a predominantly white school, a white school. I grew up in white neighborhoods. We were the only, mm. not one of a few. It was us, right? Mm. And my cousins, who were also black, lived the town over, but she went to a different elementary school. So I grew up in the 70s where Klan literature, and then as the Klan started to, then it became white supremacist, you know, the younger guys, that literature would be in our mailbox on the regular. Wow. And they would be the older brothers or uncles or cousins of a kid I'd be on a play date with, right? So I know that it's real. My mother had to tell my brother and my cousin, you, you can't date a white girl. And what do you do when you're in high school with all white girls? Yeah. If you don't, you're not going to date. Hmm. right so if we are foolish enough to think that white women who become educators are not informed by some of these ideologies whether they subscribe to them or not whether they think they're right whether that's not what we're talking about but this is what bias is it's very sneaky it's a very subtle kind of thing you don't really see it coming Mm -hmm. but it's in you and if it's not in you, it's in the mouths of people that you're breaking bread with in the Hamptons or on, you know, it's, yeah. it's in the atmosphere, right? It's secondhand smoke. 
you don't have to smoke, but the toxicity of the sex, like you're gonna, you can get affected. That's how this stuff is. So we have to start with that. So then you move on to how black bodies move and how boys move in general, period. Let's cross color lines, black, white, Asian, right? Mm -hmm. Latino. Mm-hmm. All boys schools, they have five recesses, they have rocking chairs, they have resistance bands, because they know boys learn better when they can be physical. Yeah. Yes. Girls can sit all day and comb hair and, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, you know it's a different kind of thing. I'm not saying girls don't need it as well, or some girls don't, but in, in general, and I'm, you're speaking to somebody who has nieces and nephews. And when I had to babysit my nephews, I'd be like, let me tell you what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'd have to be physical with them. We'd have to go play basketball, soccer. Like, it couldn't just sit and we do, you know, hot cross buns. They, yeah. <laughs> they slept better. They communicated. Right? So then you bring in that a body that is like six pack at the age of six, big mm. feet. Right? Mm-hmm. Muscles. Yeah. The the black boys in Cassius is great. They're like <laughs> their bodies are like it's crazy. And I'm not saying this because I'm taking pride in it. When I first noticed my son's physique, which is akin to his father's, mm-hmm. it there's a part of it that's heartbreaking because it's like I know I know how they're gonna see you. Yeah. They're going to over sexualize you, they're going to start to make you more masculine in your five yes so we got to look at it through those optics and when you are already a woman who has a culture that runs to your defense that believes you over anything you don't need proof you don't you can just say this child did that and you are believed Mm. it takes me to write an email that's four pages long with bullet points and come in with my glasses ready for battle. Yes. Because she's already believed when the email is sent to me. Mm. <laughs> right? Wow. And for you, the young Kyle and the Cassius and the Rahims, mm-hmm. they've spent the last three weeks believing they deserve the treatment, being still, holding all of that, and they're ready to accept. Load. And instead of looking at the pathology, they're just looking at it in an instant and they're like ADD, ADHD, violent, aggressive, can't feed the body still. Yeah. They're not wow. seeing themselves in the equation because they think they're woke and they need to stop thinking that because they're nowhere near it. Yes. They're asleep at the wheel and they have a culture that protects. You want to see how quickly? You'll be proven wrong. Let a white woman say something and watch a whole community raise up to support her and tell her she's right. Yes. Wow. I'm having a moment right now because I'm, when I say that I'm a, I was a knucklehead, um, I, I, as a coping mechanism, my coping mechanism was to bury a lot of what I was feeling in terms of discomfort and um, feeling like an other or an outsider with being a jester right with being mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. a clown in order to to survive um yes but I'm, I'm remembering things now where i felt like i had to make myself smaller 
I felt like I had to make myself more palatable. And it breaks Mm -hmm. my heart that we have to go through this process of not only changing um, what we relate to, not only changing how we, how we learn, how we act, but changing who we are at our essence in order to survive. It's very heartbreaking. It's, wow. I remember one point, and, and I want you to react to this. I remember one point, um, I was sitting on in a meeting um, with a teacher. Uh, I don't know if she's still there. Uh, she was an eighth grade teacher. And she started to cry and say, I, I, I can't, um, I, my heart breaks for what black boys have to go through. And she proceeds to ask if my father's in the home and all these things, right? And my mother's there giving her like a side eye and saying, you know, I'm a principal. I I have my, you know, I've been doing this, right? Like, it's like, we have it all under control. You are blowing this situation up. And I left that meeting feeling like I was some type of problem and I was wrong and I was the issue. And what it made me do is shrink, right? But it also made mm-hmm. me act out more. Act out more. You're going to give me... them what they want to see. Exactly. You think I'm a clown? I'm going to be the best clown. You think I'm a problem? I'm going to be your big problem. This is the atten- this, this is, is how I get attention. So I'm going to get the attention mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I fear for, and I know this story is not just mine. It's so common, right? How yeah. do... How do we make it? Because, again, we want it to be a diverse place. We want it to be a place of inclusion. And we want these young Black men or Black boys to have a, a, a access to this great education. Because the education is, is on point. But it can't be at the risk of who they are. It can't be at the risk of traumatizing them for life. Yeah, because you lose all the you lose all of the social justice and we, we, we're, we'll get to that in a moment because that's the most disappointing part about Little Red is yes. that's why we're there in the first place and taking three subways and, you know, working five jobs to pay tuition and it, it just... Please go but into I wanna, that. I want to take a moment. Well, yes. let me take a moment to just hold space for you as a young Black man that you were able to even have a moment right now as we're speaking that this is why I do the work Mm. for you to have a small, I'm not taking any credit for this, but for you to have a a breakthrough in understanding you're not a knucklehead and understanding, Whoa, I was right. Yeah. Yes. Making myself smaller. I, that, that's what systemic races. These are the byproducts. You just, yes. you just, you just now you had like an aha moment, right? A huge one. Yes. And I was only able to, because of the therapy I went through with my son mm. and because my mama is who my mama is. And I thank God she's still alive. My mom's going to be 80 wow. at the end of August. These are milestones for us, 50 and 80. And my mother still has to remind me. My mother still had to help me through mm. what was going on with Cassius. My mother raised three of us in the white suburbs and my cousin Ken from White Plains, New York went to high school because my aunt was, was just out of law school and was about to start her legal career. 
Mm-hmm. And so she's, we did what communities do. She was like, can you take him for high school? Because the same thing. They were saying, oh, he's too busy. He she's like, can you take him? Mind you, that same cousin is one of the most highly sought attorneys in White Plains, New York. Mm. The kid that they said had all these issues, right? Yes. But let me go back. My mother said to me, I was never at the school for three of my own and my nephew as much as you've been there for Cassius. Mm. You better take a hard look at that institution. They're trying to break him. Wow. I'm never going to say that my son, listen, I, I would walk in front of a moving bus for Cassius. I'll do anything for him. And he gets on my nerves. Do you understand? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's not always a walk at the park. Mm-hmm. But I'm not raising an asshole. I know that for a fact. Yes. My son still showed deference in spaces where he was literally being treated like a dog. Wow. Not a teacher could say he talked back. Not a teacher could say he hit. Not, my son still had the whole space. Mm. Now, so congratulations to you and, and, and what a great moment, right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and listen, and I think my mama and Jeffrey Cox are therapists in my village because I've driven them nuts because it will make you feel crazy. Yeah. Because you'll sit in Phil's office and he's nodding like, this is, wow, we're not, you know, he'll make you feel like you're the only person in the room and that this doesn't happen. I'm looking at these threads that black at, at all these institutions. They should yes. all be shut down. This yeah. has been going on for years. There's alumni that's been out of these institutions for 22 years talking about this, and you're going to make me feel like I'm the only one. You've got to be... Uh, Gaslighting at it's, its most. This is what I'm talking about. And let me tell you, when Black mothers can pull themselves from this foolishness, my business has thrived being out of that school because I can actually focus on it. I can focus on the marketing plan I spent dollars for somebody to make for me, mm-hmm. right? I'm able to do the renovations on my house because I'm actually able to be here. They don't understand this pulls from our resources, which is why I implore black people, focus on your black excellence. Don't focus on trying to bring them yes. into this understanding of empathy. They're millionaires. <laughs> exactly. That's another right? dynamic so, that, that at the end of the day, how much do they have to care? They don't have to care. Hmm. The ones that do, they're not sitting up bothering you. They're going, yeah. I just got this book. I just yeah. went to the seminar. Now, I am happy to talk to you about you while the work is in process, in progress. Yes. Right? Yes. Wow. That's right? big. Uh, it, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you when I really know you are being an active listener and, and I don't, your guilt, I won't allow you to be guilty here. I'm going to love you and celebrate you. And we're not going back and forth to your forefathers and what you did and your grandmother. If you're here right now, present saying, I want, I want to do this work because yes. my children will be better citizens. Can I'm I, with I, you. I, we are up till four in the morning, but if oh. you're not, I don't have anything for you. I want to I want to point that out. No, no, it's okay. I want to point that out because I've been going back and forth with myself on uh, because, you know, I'm a talker, right? And that's why I'm building this platform up and I always, you know, I see the the memes, go google it, right? I'd rather right. and, and how I learn is 
through conversation and through story and through um, seeing it through your eyes, right? So I always push back on that a little bit. But what you just said kind of broke through, right? I will talk to you as much as you want, but you have to be in progress. You have to be in process of doing the work yourself. I can be a, a, an addition, a, a complement to that but I shouldn't have to be doing all the work for you. That is so big for anyone listening. Please get that. Whether it is yeah. a race issue, whether it is um, men learning about treating women better, which I'm doing a lot of self work with personally, whether it is uh, any type of issue, uh, class issue, class differences, anything, right? You have to be doing the self work before you try to yeah. get someone else to do it for you. Thank you for that so much, Kim. It's too, it pulls away from the work you have to be doing on yourself and your families, which is, in fact, how Cassius's issues went so long without me really realizing what was really going on. Because Little Red and other schools probably have this policy. I don't know if this was going on when you were a student. If your mom got a phone call, excuse me, when your mm -hmm. mom got a phone call, um, um, you know, Miss um, Kyle... I had an interaction with a child and we can't say the child's name. Um, and that, that automatically, I'm already at 10. Just mm -hmm. You can't say the child's name. Okay. Um, but, you know, um, so um, what happened was there was a thing and, and your son snatched the pencil. And, and um, I just want to talk to you about that. I, I, I sent him outside for a moment to gather himself and uh, you readjust. And, okay, well, what happened to the other child? Yeah. What do you mean what happened to the other child? Well, when my son snatched a pencil I mean what well listen the child would never do anything to initiate I've actually had a teacher say to me that wow. other child would never do anything let me tell you something I don't say that about my own son that my son would never I'm like let yeah. me check in with him and talk about this is wow. so, so this is the messaging so when white people say well, what can we do really ask honest questions to your children because you know what if they feel safe they're gonna say yeah Raheem was out in the hall <laughs> when, you know, Melissa, you know, what I found out when I got home about that incident is that the girl, they could do this two finger hush, mm. which I, I, I shut down. No kid should be able to put their fingers near any other child's face and tell them to hush. Period. Yeah. It's a power play. My child shouldn't be doing it to others and no one should be doing it to him. Yeah. My son said the girl put her fingers in his face and he could smell like the crayons that she was using on her fingers. Oh, That's how no. close. And, she, and he pushed her hand out of the way. And yeah. I was like, well, how did I not get that nugget? Because then you're thing in your mind, like you don't want your black son then being looked at as an aggressor of little girls. And yeah, you understand? I had to get out of the reindeer game and go, look, if you're not going to call me with the whole story, don't, don't call me at all. Yeah, exactly. Don't call me at all. I'm busy. I'm working. Don't call me. Right. Exactly. So let's, let's touch on the second part of this elephant yes, that please. I really want parents to understand because don't do what I did and consistently be up in offices. If you go to any head of school and there's been a consistent pattern with a teacher and that teacher's not been reprimanded or fired, don't go in that principal's office again. You've got tools. You can go to the Department of Education. You can mm. file a complaint. And they are waiting to hear from you because it's a sleepy office. A lot of teachers are protected for tenure, which is the case of Carissa, who mm -hmm. terrorized my son for two years. Mm. But she felt protected because she's certified 
and I believe tenure. This office loves teachers that are certified because the problem is, is there's wonderful teachers and educators unemployed, mm-hmm. wanting to work, wanting to see children flourish, willing, willing to do the work around social justice and identity. And for the ones that don't, that hold this kind of certification, which they're held to a standard of by getting it in the first place, they need to be dismantled because the only way to change the behavior is to disrupt it. So if you're comfortable disrupting my son's piece, if you're comfortable constantly making him feel like he's not capable, a child that has proven himself to be at grade level for reading and math, question his genius, question his passion in science, question his beauty, then you deserve yourself to have some unrest around the things you feel entitled to have. Let's let's do, and I can do that with you woman to woman. See, my son can't do that because he Mm. still has the whole deference because he's still black and I still have to protect him. But I'm I'm not beholden to that because I'm a good old fashioned grown woman and we can sit at the same table and I can have this conversation with you and I'm gonna give you one time. And after that, off I go. Because that guy at the Department of Ed in that sleepy office in his skinny JC penny tie can't wait <laughs> to get his clipboard out and walk into any of these schools and start with the head of school and go, so let's have a conversation. Yes. And all you need to do as a parent is make sure you've done your due diligence, you've sent emails, you've, you've talked, you've tried, and that's it. Do not spend your precious time hmm. thinking. Because if you're going to tell me no and act like all of this stuff is happening just, oh, just now, you're already playing games with me. So hmm. in order for me to not be triggered, right, and to not give you that black woman that you, that you almost want me to become, so you can be like, hey, break a brick of one nine, lock the doors on Miss Hill. Yeah. Oh, you're never going to get her. Mm. You are never, ever going to get her. I watched my mother rock and roll in the mm-hmm. 70s in a very racist system. Mm. And my mother never had to raise her voice. She never had to cuss anybody out. Yes. So I've learned from the best. Yes. And I absolutely refuse. Ooh. Right? So let me empower you. The energy is why your own business isn't thriving. See, white people's businesses are thriving because they're not at the school all day. Mm-hmm. You hmm. understand? Hmm. They can hire their contractors. <laughs> they yeah. can, in their five-year plan, they can meet their benchmark. Not you. Because you're too busy crying in an office, praying your son will get suspended, and then the ego that goes in and doing it anyway. So wow. let me bring her on back down. And so there's, there's the one part that parents can do, and I want everybody, and I can give you this link so you can put in here. I'm going to read just a few, just a few uh, points of reference that teachers are obligated to. Mm-hmm. Let's say I have my idea of how you should conduct yourself in a classroom or a school because you're being paid to be there, right? Yeah. But this is, your, this is New York State's Code of Ethics for Educators. Let me just read you this. Give me two minutes. The Code of Ethics is a public statement by educators that sets clear expectations and principles to guide practice and inspire professional excellence. Educators believe a commonly held set of principles can assist 
and the individual exercise of professional judgment. The code speaks to the core values of the profession. Educator, as used throughout, means all educators serving New York schools in positions requiring a certificate, including classroom teachers, school leaders, and pupil personal service providers. So boom, that's your first paragraph. We know who we're talking to, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody listening. You know you're talking to the students. You're not talking to the parents. You're talking to educators. Mm. And they gave me some tears. Let's give mm. you principle one. I'm going to just run through this, but oh, it's beautiful. No, take your time. Take your time. Beautiful. Educators nurture the intellectual, physical, emotional, social, and civic potential of each student. Educators promote growth in all students through the integration of intellectual, physical, emotional, social, and civic learning. They respect the inherent dignity and worth of each individual. I'm gonna stop you right there. How are you respecting black boys' dignity when you're standing over them yelling at them and, and yeah. screaming and telling them to sit? Yes. How are you doing that when they're out in the hallway all day, having their white peers like, there go the brothers again. Because mm -hmm. I guarantee you they're, they're behind us out in that hallway. I got Cassius a table. I said, to, you know what? Give him a seat mm. and a chair. Let's make it official because he won't be in the room with Carissa. You're not going to fire her. You're going to make him sit in a room with her after the stuff she's done. Then I will liberate him and he will sit in the hall. She doesn't deserve to be in the same room with my son. Mm. And we had to talk about if kids make fun of you, you say, this is my choice. Right? Yeah. But why should my son have to sit outside because a grown woman won't apologize for her actions? And if you're not fit, all the medication they want to put these black boys on, they need to see their own doctors and perhaps get some prescriptions mm. on how to cope. Right? Instead of trying to drug up ours. Exactly. I'm going to move on to another one. Let's see. Where do I want to go? I'm going to do a remix here. Educators create. I want to repeat this word. Create support, and maintain challenging learning environments, um, environments for all. It is up to the school mm -hmm. to create these learning environments. So if you've got a classroom, right, where you've got five kids over here that thrive from like kind of not having a lot of noise and others that do better with kind of having some conversations, kind of, you know, we want them to be uh, critical thinkers. And, and sometimes kids need to talk those things out. And then, of course, with with structure and guidelines. Mm -hmm. It is your responsibility to create environments that help them thrive based on their individual learning needs. Right? Yes. So when they send stuff home to parents and they're like, we don't know what to do. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> hmm. Do I need to go to school and become an educator right quick? And <laughs> exactly. What do I wow. need to do? Um, let me give you two more pieces. And this is just the skin. Educators commit to their own learning in order to develop their practice. Yes. Educators recognize that professional knowledge and development, knowledge and development are the foundation of their practice. I'm sorry, teachers. That's your responsibility to commit. That's your responsibility. So when you asked earlier, how do we get educators? That's not my job. Mm. My job is to bring food and resources into my own home. 
Yes. Right? Yes. Your job as a hired educator of this institution is to commit to your own learning. So hmm. LREI prides itself on having these seminars and, and they're like, well, some teachers show up. Chap would say some people show up, some people don't. Well, if they're not, that is not the place that they should be teaching. Exactly. Because your mantra is about social justice. This was Elizabeth Irwin's, this was her life's work. Yes. Now you get yes. the black kids in the room for Angela Davis. Why isn't she coming back to speak at the school? Why mm. was I told by head of school a number of times? Uh, please, listen, Kim, I know you're a fan. Please, please do not contact Angela Davis. I had to start doing damage control to other people in POCOC that was like, wouldn't it be great? And I'd be like, oh, oh whoa, 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 wait. Hmm. Head of school said, please don't contact her. And I look back and I'm like, first of all, with all due respect, I am not an employee of the school. Now, because this was about the school, I get that. But why? Yes. Why wouldn't Angela Davis? She, she does speaking engagements in institutions all over the world. She won't come back home. Why not? Hmm. Exactly. Why not? Wow. Why not? And why are, are you standing in my face saying, don't even reach out to her? Why not? That's the big thing. Why? why? Hmm. Wow. And I don't know. It's rhetorical. So we have to look at these things and go, is it hypocrisy? Is it because she's gotten too many uh, you know, emails or people have reached out and said, hey, this is not, you know, they're using you as a marketing thing, your name, and we get in there and it's the wild, wild west. And she's like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not here for it. I don't know. But I'd love to find out. Me as well, because, hmm. I feel like, and, and we talked about this on the, the episode, the Black at LRI episode, we are when when the parents go through for the tour and they're given the LREI story. Uh, people like Angela Davis are held up. The idea of this is going to be a place of social justice, activism, and and things of that nature are held up. But a lot of times when we get there, uh, and this is a story that I've heard a lot, um, it is more the chicness of it right? It is more the mm -hmm. clickish parents mm -hmm. and more the, like you said, uh, the artisan olives crowd. Um, and it goes against what got us in the door, right? Yeah. Speak a little bit to the parents who, who get there and feel like, and even the kids who get there and feel like um, this is not the place of social justice that they thought it was. How do they, how do they activate their voice in that space without becoming uh, silenced and shut down and just seen as a, a radical one-off? Well, it, it, it echoes the same uh, concerns the students expressed, right? The students yes. on your podcast, the, the alumni very yeah. eloquently said, their apprehension and speaking up. They don't want to lose the scholarship. Well, for the child who doesn't want to lose the scholarship, you want to know where they're getting those cues from? The parents that are like, okay, Jamisha, please, 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're on financial aid and I don't want to want anybody messing with that. Listen, yeah. we're a financial aid family too. And that actually made me even more rah-rah. I was like, you absolutely are not mm-hmm. <laughs> going to have us up in here when, you know, there were other schools literally like, we want you. And the Angela Davis piece for me was the tipping point, right? Yeah, that's big. And that at, at our tour, Phil said, if we're in the library, this is at my tour for parents, we are going to work on white privilege. And I turned around because, you know, I was, I was touring a lot of schools and I forgot where I was. I looked around. I was like sixth and bleaker. I couldn't <laughs> believe where I was because I was. So that was it for me. And when Cassius got the bucket and the little red ball, it was, it was over. Yeah. You know, for his play date. So we feel bamboozled. So to then have your child be telling you things that feel very wrong in their bodies with how they're being touched and looked at and spoken to and the non-dad thing and all this foolishness mm. to then go, well, we got to eat it because we got this money. No, no, that is just the opposite. There's an even larger obligation to you mm. because you may not be able to just pick up and relocate somewhere so easily as the next person. Exactly. You know, you, you may not have the financial means to be able to just go, you know, rich white parents, they're like, we're out of here. They're pulling their kids out left and right because they can't, like, you can go down the street. Oh, and they're clamoring for you. Mm. You call in the middle of the school year and you're in financial aid, they're like, yeah, uh, that sounds horrible what's going on. But unfortunately, we don't have a seat right now. What are we talking about? Yeah. So yeah, we're stuck. You're going to have to do right by me because this is your mission statement. I didn't write it. Wow. And exactly. I didn't put my son in the school that we're zoned for because if I send him to school with eight buttons on his shirt, he got to come home with eight buttons on his shirt. But I, I, you're almost better off with having five buttons and your mm-hmm. kid learns how to be a little scrappy than having the emotional stuff. Yeah. I can tell you what a kid looks like that has anxiety that on Sundays, that's why Cash and I, Cassius and I started Life on Mars and Mother Dot 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 Hood because on Sundays, He'd be so full of anxiety. His stomach would be so messed up. He would not come out of, my room is on the top floor of my house, of our house. Mm-hmm. And it was, another black father told me he, he, he that's his safe place. So I'd be like, I really kind of want him off my bed. You know what I mean? Like he's got yes. a great room. It's like, <laughs> let him do it. Let him be in there. It's you. It's your smell. It's your things. He needs to feel safe. Mm-hmm. I had to talk Cassius. It was one Sunday, I was like, I can't do it. I couldn't get any work done. You hate to be like that, but it's like, okay, everything's going to fall apart if I got to be up here with charcoal and a hot water bottle again. So I said, let's go outside. Let's shoot something crazy with Mars, which is our, you know, Australian shepherd who's crazy as the day is long. And you just be the cinematographer. I just got in the new 11, had the three cameras. I was like, you be the cinematographer. That is what started to get Cassius to open up. Wow. That's what it, that's what started. That's how I started putting him on. Cassius doesn't want to be an actor. He doesn't want to be in Hollywood and I would never let him. But Mm -hmm. it started because I needed him to see. Look how handsome you are. Look how funny you are. I get emotional. Look how you, Cassius, he started to really turn on himself. Mm. And when your mind does that, your body follows. I took him to upper GIs, lower GIs, doctors, ER. They were like, there's nothing wrong with your son. This is in his mind. What's going on in that building? Wow. Wow. And if someone would have taken the time, 
if, if someone in that building, right, would have taken the time to see that and to put in oh, that, that the work. They take the time. They mm. just don't do right by that time. Let me tell wow. you something. These are not dumb people. They're crafty. Mm. These are not dumb people. It's not difficult to understand and discern right from wrong. It's mm. not difficult to discern the abuse of power. Elisa, who is now the assistant principal, was Cassius's kindergarten teacher. And she's mm -hmm. Latina from Washington Heights. And you want to know what? It was, it was like nine black kids in his kindergarten grade. Okay? Mm -hmm. That was like the first big year of a new influx of black kids. It was like, best die. Hmm. Right? And instead of having the kids raise their hands, she had them put them on their shoulders because she was aware of the black bodies in the rooms. And we say, put your hands up. That's, in our culture, you, somebody's ready to chase you or shoot mm. you in your back. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So she understood that. You need people that are capable of understanding, right? What I just read you, understanding yeah. and creating ways in which children, all of them in the room can feel safe. Exactly. I will not, let me tell you, I will, I will homeschool Cassius, and I don't want to. I love my life. I like going to lunch with my friends. I, I, I like watching Housewives. I don't want to be in this house with him doing geometry. Yeah, exactly. But I'll be, I'll be damned if I ever put him in an institution like that again. I promise wow. you. Wow. I will never. Wow. I will never. Now that I know what I know, and ain't no place to go, because I'm looking at all the other black acts. Yeah, exactly. That's mm. so. So they, Kyle, they know better. I'm going to give you an example. Yes. Third grade. We'd already been briefed by the third grade class when when our kids were in second grade because this is my this would be my my first year as the co-chair of POCOC, who I co-chaired with a white mother who has two black children. Meg, like my ace, like my girl. Mm -hmm. Okay? So white people are more than capable of really getting it. Um, as our kids were in second grade, we were already being warned about what was going on in third grade in both classrooms. And it was the black boys and they were being like terrorized and they're it was just, it was, it was brutal. Mm -hmm. Black fathers, black fathers walking out of meetings with tears in their eyes. And that's hard for me to see. Now you breaking brothers? Nah. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we're sitting there as incoming second grade parents like, Jesus, what the? So I'm, I started my letters then. Hey, these are the teachers we can't have. I don't care what's going on. Fortunately, the teacher at hand that was the culprit of a lot of this. And I, I only thing I'm not going to say her name is we didn't have her because she was on maternity leave. Okay. But it set the tone for how children get treated in that grade, which is enter Carissa. This is when her craziness started was in third grade for Kasha. So there's a tone that was set. And I think that there's a turning point for black bodies and development and voice change and smell. And, mm -hmm. you know, my son, my son in third grade started wearing a men's size shoe. He was no <laughs> biggest foot in the class. Yeah. In the grade. 
that that's also unsettling for people. Yeah. Right. That also plays into these myths of them being over sexualized. Oh, I heard Cassius has got these really big feet. It just makes you cringe. Mm-hmm. Right. But let's, exactly. let's, let's just, so they're studying the Lenape Indians. So you came in in middle school. So this is lower school. They're studying the Lenape. Yes. Who were the indigenous Indians of Manhattan, which is referred to at the time as Manhattan. Mm-hmm. We're in spring break of third grade, which was the same window that we got the evaluation. And even though I didn't have the paperwork, I knew after the evaluation, the woman was like, I, I don't know why they sent you here, but you really have to take a hard look at the school because uh, I'm going to get together with my colleagues and we're really going to, but this kid has anxiety and he was very capable of uh, articulating it. And it's about how he feels by the way he's treated in this building. Mm-hmm. That was my first real indicator because as a black parent, you're like, just put your head down and be quiet, please. And although I had signs, now I'm starting to go, wait a minute, he's not lying. He's not over-exaggerating, right? Yes. Hmm. This was before he became symptomatic. This is before the stomach. This is before the like hospital. This is before all this stuff happens. So we're talking during spring break and mm-hmm. we've talked about something that happened and he said, well, it's not as bad as the time that Chloe said the word Negro about 10 times in a, in a piece of literature. Wow. Kyle, we were driving and I pulled the car over because sometimes you just, sometimes I, I, I just, I need wow. to get in the rear view, look at my black child, put my wig, my wig has already started to tilt to the side. <laughs> wow. I didn't have my glue on. Oh my gosh. My knee highs were at my ankles and I said, <laughs> I'm sorry, come, come again. And he said, we were in class and Chloe pulled out some kind of reading and she started reading it and the word Negro was in it and it was, reset, it was repeated several times and I just started gripping my chair and I was looking around to see like, does anyone notice this is cringeworthy? And he said, and I will not name this family because it's a child, but mm-hmm. a white child, a white male child kept saying, well, what's Negro? Who's mm. a Negro? Well, how many Negroes? Mm. Well, where were the Negroes? And I mean, it's kind of funny to stop. But Cassius was like, "Mom, I wanted to disappear. I was yeah. waiting for my teacher to go. Oh, hold on a second. Let me code that word, okay? Exactly. And, and let me give you some context. My then seven-year-old. Sorry, I'm sorry. He had just turned eight. He just turned eight. Said. Perhaps if she'd given some context, let's call him John, because there's no kid in the grade named John. John would have not needed to ask the question, but because she didn't, what made it all worse is he kept saying it. So now the kids are getting fidgety and they're kind of like looking through. Hmm. So we were on our way to a birth. We just moved out here to Jersey. We were on our way to Brooklyn Mm -hmm. to a birthday party. And I said to one of my girlfriends, who's a black mom, I said, did, did your son say anything to you about Negro being read in the class? And she's like, no, but I did get a phone call from Chloe that he cried that day. Mm. So let me check in. I said, well, even if she doesn't understand what it was, she may not have known my son was having a reaction to it, which she did because his body was like vibrating at a different frequency. frequency. But 
So my girlfriend told the mother of the white boy. I thought we were friendly. Instead of her coming to me and saying, hey, I just want to let you know I'm on top of it. My son didn't know. He did not mean anything by it. I can assure you of that. But how are you? How's mm -hmm. your kid? Let's, how can I help you? She went to the then principal and the teachers. I never used the word racist and I never would. This is a child. Mm -hmm. My son isn't a racist. I don't want him getting a bad reputation. Oh, Kyle, they coddled him. They coddled her. Oh, absolutely wow. not. There's no way. That would have been the time to go, hey, Kim, just checking in on Cassius. We exactly. really, wow, this never happened. It teaches you uh, a lesson. It teaches the kids a lesson on what they can expect. I can say anything up in here. I exactly. can say anything. I can say anything up in this piece. And not only in so, the building, was, but in the world. Absolutely, because your Crazy. kids are going to become adults. This is how we have people in administration and on the police force right now wow. that do what they do because they were once children that had poor modeling. Wow. Oh so I'm going to breeze through this. That was March. At the end of the year, each mm -hmm. grade has a what to expect in fourth grade, what to expect in fifth. In that what to expect in fourth grade, when the principal said, the teachers do a great job of communicating with parents. I started packing up my bag because I knew I was about to be triggered. And most of the parents were like, I'm sorry, that's not what happens. Like black and white. My mm. kids come home telling me all kinds of stuff. Mm. That parent saw my reaction and asked me to lunch. She told me what happened. She told me what's brought to her attention. And I said to her, I said, I'm a little disappointed that you know me, you've been to my store, you know, you've we've had our kids on play dates that you didn't think to call me and check in with me because my kid was the one whose feelings were hurt, not yours. But mm. okay, when you go back in there to let them know you spoke with me and I, under no circumstances, consider you nor your family racist, can you just do me a solid and be a white ally and say to them, hey, maybe you should check in with Kim? She peeked her head in. She made sure they knew that we yes. spoken but never brought up my child again. So when I finally had my day in court to sit there with Chap and Elena, who was a then principal, these are two women of color. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you both have to know better than this. So here's yeah. where we're at now. I want the literature because the last I knew the Lenape tribe was not walking around like, what up Negro? Last yeah. I knew that was not happening. So I don't know what literature was being read to seven and eight year olds with that language, with no context. With no context. Because I promise you, I'm gonna raise the dead if at the ball field, somebody tries to call them that. And for just for full transparency, I did an independent film called In the Morning and a, and a coin I came up with myself, which was the catchphrase of the film, was Bon Appetit Negroes, and I'm about to put it on a shirt. I can say that because I understand the experience. Yes. Yes. And that is not for anyone else outside of this experience to feel they have the liberty to say. And if as an educator, you are that haphazard with that word in front of small minds, well, not small minds, but small bodies, mm -hmm. with delicate minds, you need to be called to the carpet. Yes. To this day, I still don't have that literature. To this wow. day, I've not been given a formal apology. And Phil Casson, when I brought this up to him again in October of 2000, 
16, he said, let me ask you something. In seventh grade, seventh graders read To Kill a Mockingbird. And that language, I said, I'm going to stop you. (laughs) I'm going to stop you. That is one of the most controversial pieces of literature. My business partner, Benga Akinabe, who is a brilliant actor from The Wire, Mm-hmm. Shout out to Benga, who at the time was on Broadway in To Kill a Mockingbird. That language and literature is really hard to hear. Yeah. But you're not going to compare the development, the developmental leap between a third grader and a seventh grader. And I said, before that literature is read, does the school send home something to the parents? Oh, absolutely. To brief them and let them know this is the language that will be used and it is never to be taken out of con. Yes. I said, we didn't have that. We were not given that. Yeah. So don't ever do yourself a favor. Don't ever use that as an analogy. So I, sorry, the story was on. This is the foolishness and the comparisons and the excuses and the delays and the, I can't tell you how many parking tickets I got. <laughs> Sitting in that school, forgetting to upload more money on my app my parking app, behind this foolishness. So I'm going to give you a shortcut, Black parents. Give them one time and then start, just go above their heads. Because the reason Black at LREI is so bad is because evidently there's been more than 20 years of these conversations and we're still here. Using Negro, coming out of some of the Nate stuff and Black boys being in the hallways and teachers, you know, terrorizing children and refusing to apologize and kids saying the n-word and saying the n-word and ain't nothing is happening Hmm. but you want my son to clap erasers because he you know took agency over his body and said i don't want your hands that close to my face okay yeah wow this is your school folks i just want (laughs) to say you know and this is to phil who you know great person in terms of connection with my mom, right? He's, they've had great conversations and great rapport about education. Um, but I have to say this, right? For a very long time, we have felt, I'm talking about the black students and black parents and somewhat black teachers at the school have felt the necessity to be quiet, to allow certain things to happen because we have to survive in the space but no longer. It's, it's way beyond time. One of the reasons why I, I, want to do the, I wanted to do these episodes and I did these episodes is to show people that there are other voices out there and that it's time to unite, right? And time to unionize, for lack of a better term, and, and stand up. Because these parents yeah. with, with, with all the money in the world, right? They're going to have their, their privileges. They're going to have their access. They're going to have, they're going to be able to, to get whoever's attention off the, off the rip just because of a phone call, right? They're going to be able to have their kid coddled, but we have to Absolutely. be able to stand together and get some changes done because I don't want to see another generation of, of young black boys traumatized by things that are happening. And, and feel like they don't have a voice, feel like they don't have an advocate. I was, was yeah. so proud of these two young men who um, are leaders of their yeah. school, right? Yeah. I didn't have that, right? I, I, I did not have that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I don't blame, I'm not yeah. blaming anyone for my whatever. But in order 
to relate and, and, and feel like you have a, a, a voice, right? Like Cassius, right? He's around you and your powerful voice and, and, and your activism, right? So that gives him a cue that he can use his voice. We need to be yeah. that for the young black kids that are currently at the school, right? You can't do much about the alumni, right? They're, they're already out there, whatever, whatever. But for the kids who are still in this environment, still in the building, still in this predominantly white institution, we have to let them and their parents know that they have an advocate. They have an advocate advocating you. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. And I want to say um, a lot of the focus has been on Black boys, Mm -hmm. mainly because I'm a mother of one. I will say um, with no, like, this is just a fact, the Black girls often are invisible. Yes. So that's how... um, um, uh, oh God, what's her, oh, come on, help me. She was on your show. Oh my God. Uh, and that, Blakely. uh, that had the baby Blakely. Yes. Who I'm two degrees of separation from Blake, Blakely. Oh and yeah. I we talked about met. that. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how yeah. serendipitous that is, but, yeah. but you know, uh, when girls like her felt invisible and yes. so that's what's happening to the black girls. I see them coming in with their hair plaited and braided and you know what I mean? And, and yeah. feeling kind of like they're on the outside of these experiences with, with white girls. And, and again, these are children. They are not doing anything deliberately. These are the social hiccups of being a kid, yeah. right? It is our responsibility as parents and as educators to help them find their footing and be like, you may not like Jennifer John or Raheem, mm-hmm. but you, this isn't a play date. This is school. So you, when you're working at a table together, you have to work together. Yeah. When you're at the ball field together, okay, you want to play sports score, you want to play football, but you don't need to be out there like making fun of one another. If you see somebody isolated off to the side, it's okay to go, hey, I'll, what, I'll jump rope with you. It, it, we have to encourage that. Yes. You know? Because it and, starts at um, home. The it revolution starts at home. Starts at home. Yeah. Charity begins at home. I heard that yeah. my whole life. It's a scripture. Charity begins at home. Like, you know, and, and another one of my favorite scriptures is do not cast your pearls among swine, yeah. you know? And I constantly felt like when mm. I had to sit, not with parents so much, but when I had to sit in these small spaces about admin and about teachers, it's like, you know what? You don't even deserve for me to be sitting up in here because I know what I'm looking at. I knew what I was looking at before, but I was trying to kind of go, let me just... Mm-hmm. take a deep breath but ultimately you know your gut is not going to lie to you you know when somebody's not willing to do the work and quite frankly and I, I told Carissa I said I know you don't like my son and I don't have a problem with that the problem is when he knows you don't like him that's yeah. when we got all kinds of problems Yes. you better be in here ready to get the Oscar and the Emmy and the Tony you better be a thespian because that is your job Yes. And if you really can't fake it till you make it, you need to go. And since the school doesn't know how to get rid of teachers, then you go to the Department of Education and they will start an investigation. That's it. Yeah. And your te- teachers still might. They still might go, well, after we looked at everything, but people need to feel that heat because you know what? Our black bodies feel that heat. Every, I don't get a break from being black, Kim Hill. I forget I'm black and I'm walking to a store and I'm like, oh, forgot. That's why, ma'am. Yes, listen, I need a bag and two receipts. Mm. Ah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. You understand? Mm. Uh, Another quick funny story. One day, 
uh, a good a good friend of mine. Good, I love him to death. Good white friend of mine. I was I, I was had a meeting and I pulled back in front of the school to look up something. School was well in session. It was probably ten o'clock in the morning, and I pulled over in front of the school to read a text and. And a police officer pulled up in front of me, not behind me, but in front of me. Mm-hmm. I literally got into our mode, right? Okay, hands at 10 and 2 o'clock. My registration is my registration. Okay, yeah, my reg- do I have insurance? Do I pay my insurance? Like, I'm going through all this stuff, right? He's mm-hmm. up behind me. He's in front of me. Mind his business. But I'm like, oh, my God. I can't get arrested in front of cash. It's a school. What did I do? Do I have a warrant? I don't have a warrant. Well, maybe mm-hmm. I walk into school. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. This man ain't thinking about me. <laughs> but I'm thinking about him. Yeah, that's it. Out comes my white friend. Walks out to school. Doesn't have the light, but looks down 6th Avenue. Obviously, there's no traffic. He mm-hmm. just walks on across the street. Mm. And I go, wow. What an amazing thing to just cross the street in front of a police officer on a Tuesday afternoon. Exactly. Like it's nothing. I was in a panic. Wow. And I had to sit back and actually laugh. Lights weren't on. This man was probably just doing, you know, because sometimes they do sit right there. It's kind mm-hmm. of a speed trap. Yeah. Because if you can catch those lights on six, you, man, you're up town. no time, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? You're going out. Yeah. So I, I, if I can leave, I hope I've left you with a lot, but I want you to just think about that mm-hmm. is the life of a black or or marginalized person that even when the cops ain't even thinking about you, you are overly concerned with them. Yes. Overly concerned, you know? Um, And, and, and that's how our kids, you know, they're walking in the building. Our kids are walking. I remember one morning and this is gentrified bed Mm -hmm. We walk out, we lived on Willoughby at the time and it was a one way street and it was just, bumper to bumper traffic and I'm parked on Willoughby and I, you know, every morning I'd have to make a full block to just head around to get heading in the right direction towards school. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be crazy. And I'm wondering what is going on. Turns out unbeknownst to me, someone had gotten shot at the corner store around the corner and ran down Willoughby and there was blood all up and down my block and police and police tape. And they had the street blocked off. And the first thing I'm like, God, I'm going to be late again because, you know, I can run late. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when I realized what it was, I was like, and Cassius is looking and he's like, mom, that's blood. And I was like, no, it's not. And other parents are coming out and people are on their stoop. Mm-hmm. And I sent an email before we got to school, why we'd be late and to just, this was kindergarten. So he had Elisa and Allie, who was another amazing white uh, teacher, one of, mm-hmm. one, of, one of our few white ally teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just so they had a heads up that this is what he's walking in the building with looking at police tape. Yeah. You're not going to see that when you're coming from Tribeca. No, not you know what I'm saying? Or, or you're, you're, you're arriving in your town car or your helicopter. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So anyways, it's, it's I'm not expecting this. Sorry, go ahead. It's just, if anything, right, if any parents, uh, non-black parents or or parents not of color are listening to this, what I want you to get is, or any, you know, teachers or whoever, I want you to get that this is what 
we live with, right? What a black mother lives with, right? What what a, a black son lives with, what black daughters live with, right? And if we are going to make this institution what you say, like as, as Kim said earlier, what you said in your mission statement, right? You you wrote you guys have the mission statement. You chose to work there. You chose to take the mission on. If we're gonna do this, we have to listen. We have to listen, right? It's it's not just yeah. saying what your side is and trying to justify and, and da da da. We have to listen because way too many people. It's apparent from the uh, Black at LREI account, Black at whatever account that we've not been listening. And these are kids. At the end of the day, right? These are kids. Cash is. Yeah. I, I could see the charisma from that video. I could see the the light and I could see the potential from that video and the fact that the fact that you didn't see it, the fact that you saw someone who needed to be oppressed or Police. sequestered, policed. It, it, it's heartbreaking. It, it is honestly one of the biggest disappointments. I'll say this as we wrap. Uh, yeah. Last summer, Jeffrey Cox was our therapist. When we really kind of got to the root of it, he said something to Cassius and Jeffrey said, hold on, I think I figured this out. Mm-hmm. He said, Cassius, and he said, Kim, don't say a word. He said, Cassius, are you protecting your mother? And he said, don't look at your mom. I want you to look at me. Wow. And Cassius said, yes. Oh, my God. I honestly thought I was going to, I I just, and so for what we got through in that day was, I don't have the news on in my house, but you can't miss Sandra Bland, right? You can't miss like, wait a minute, there was this black lady and she was driving and she was in police custody and she didn't come home. Like, you can't miss that, right? Yeah. And you can't kind of miss that there's black women that are just being abducted and they're missing. Like we're miss we are the nu- like we are the new Chanel. We are the number one most coveted item to be stolen. Black yes. women. Right? Yes. And not children, but adults, right? And that's a big concern for Cassius. So he said to Jeffrey in therapy way, is an amazing black therapist who was the therapist at Friends and at mm-hmm. Fieldston. And so okay. he knows what he's talking about because it's all the way real, live. And his daughter is alum of Little Red. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so ain't nobody up in here trying to throw anybody under the bus. We got to tell the truth. And, and uh, Cassius, Cassius, Jeffrey said, what he, you know, when he was asking Cassius about this, Cassius said to me, I don't want when you go to school for me, you're up there all the time, mom. You're always at the school. And I don't want them to not believe you and call the police on you and you get hurt. Oh, God. So he wasn't telling me so much stuff. If it wasn't for some of my white parents whose kids came home and said, I got to tell you what happened to Cassius. I don't know. Is this right? And they came to me. Oh, God. They hmm. came to me when Carissa walked out of the classroom of my child and then walked back in the classroom in front of his peers and said, I wasn't going to give the class homework. But because he asked the question, not interrupted, not spoke out of turn, not cussed at me, not spit on the floor, like many white children do. Mm-hmm. There's kids that are spitting on the floor that wow. kids are walking on. But because he raised his hand and asked a question and interrupted her lesson, which I guess was a class norm, waiting until the lesson is over, I get that. 
but he was having a, a, a moment and he needed her help. And instead of helping him, she punished him. And she walked back in the room and she said, because he interrupted the class, I wasn't going to give you all homework, but now I am. Everybody's getting homework because of Cassius. So the room erupts. He becomes stupid, dummy. He runs oh, no. after her, chasing this irrational white woman, this fragile white woman, mm. who his head teacher gave him permission to leave the room to go try to apologize to. And my black boy was apologizing to this frail woman. She brushed past him, would not accept his apology, and continued to give the class the homework. Oh, so the God. white kids came home and said, Mom, I don't know about this. I would have never. It happened a week and a half before I found out about it. Wow. And that was the turning point with me and Phil. That was the turning point with me and Carissa. That was when they put Akima on overload. That's when I had to do a bit of a code switch. And it's like, you're not going to get that black woman that you think you want. Yes. But I'm going to have to raise up the blackness just a little bit. Because I need you to know right now, I'm serious as a heart attack. Yes. And that is what liberated my son and stopped the stomach aches. Because finally, I saw the whole truth. But if it wasn't for my white friends and their kids coming home and telling, I don't know how long Cassius would have kept that from me. And I can't tell you how many nightmares and stomach aches happened just within those two weeks of him holding that. And that was one of many. She's not worthy of teaching. Hmm. Right? It's a, it's a similar oath that doctors take. You can't knowingly hurt a patient by misprescribing something, or you can't knowingly hurt someone. Exactly. Wow. So when Phil demanded after months of going back and forth, because I threatened to go to the Department of Education and have her removed from the school, and all of a sudden she wanted to apologize, you know she sat in the room with me, Phil, and my son, and still didn't apologize. She said, I feel bad. I looked at her in her white face and I said, this is exactly what white privilege will do for you. Exactly. Because if I did that, I would have been, I wouldn't even have a job. Wow. So you better know you're a king. You better know you're worthy. You better know that she's not fit to sit at this table with you. Wow. And Phil oh sat there God. and let it happen. And, and uh, so you understand, I have, we're not doing any more talking. And they better be glad for COVID because I would have been in that office, right? Yeah. So we all have to take a little break, but it's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. I want to thank you so much for, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your, for your voice, for your bravery, for, we always have a thing here where I, you know, say purpose is never personal, right? That's my kind of uh, personal mantra. Um, and I asked, um, without serving yourself, what is your purpose? But, and you can speak to it if you want to, but it's so clear that you are living in your purpose of helping and impacting people outside of yourself. If you want to speak a little bit to that, you can. I know that. I'll you just say, I'll just say, I wouldn't, I would question anyone who is only serving their own agenda or their own happiness. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wouldn't be wrong for just going, well, I got what I needed for Cassius. He got better. He's not hurting anymore in that way. You know, he thrived in distance learning. He, he did because he wasn't in the building with these people. Right. Mm -hmm. wow. um, thrived. And, and I, and I really got to see firsthand how much of his greatness 
they weren't telling me about. They wanted to, I was listening to Cassius in these Zoom meetings with his peers going, you have to be kidding me that this is how my son is speaking and, and, and summing up a lesson. And, and I never heard about how, how awesome. right? So, so I'll say this, mm. I, I am passionate about this and all of the marching. I've chosen it to be about schools and the pipeline from preschool to prison because I know it's real. So if we can circumvent an 18 year old from getting arrested and, and being you know, sent to trial as an adult or a 16 year old, um, um, right? At, um, oh my God, Rikers Island, my name is failing me, killed himself. Um, oh, uh, uh, they did a documentary on him. Khalif Browder? Right. Yes. When he was being deposed at 16 with no legal counsel, with no parent, and not knowing he could wait to answer these questions until he had that, those yeah. ears in the room, they were going back to stuff that happened in elementary school, which is why as parents, you've got to be diligent. Yes. can't have this stuff on record. Through the Department of Ed, they're, gonna re they're going to have to take this stuff off and listen. I don't want to hear about a learning disability, and this is not to slight any child that is God forbid Cassius did have a learning disability, then you guys are monsters if you treated him like that. And he did have a learning disability. Yes. You're monsters if you sit over a child screaming and spitting in his face because of your fragile behind. Exactly. You're monsters. You better be glad he's not. <laughs> so I, I, I'm passionate about it. My, my, my mantra when I was you know, in the final stages of we didn't know COVID was coming, but before spring break was just because I'm leaving doesn't mean I'm leaving it alone. Yeah. I want people to know so they can empower themselves because I still have people I love in these buildings all across New York City. I have black friends at Fieldston, at St. Anne's, at Brearley, like they're everywhere. We all fell for this. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the ranch, my friends that are in public school, they're like, <laughs> mm -hmm. hmm. it ain't perfect. But it ain't that. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? There's some black teacher that somebody's auntie that's like, you're not supposed to talk to this baby like that. Now, where, what happened today? Exactly. You know what I'm wow. saying? They may not be going to butt mitzvahs and going to expensive yacht parties, but their kids feel more whole. Exactly. And I'm not saying those systems are perfect, but my God, I can catch Cassius up with his reading and writing if he falls behind because he's not at a progressive school. And Little Red can't tout themselves on having the best learning model anyways hmm. your, your kids on your podcast were saying how much work they had to do to just be at competitive level in college yeah so if the social justice part isn't there what are we doing what are we doing they gotta they gotta knock it off they they they, uh, they just they they have to and i'm i'm gone and i know they're grateful but i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay right there i'm gonna stay right there i say in them comments yes anybody that tells a story on black at ellery guy I might be one of the only ones, but as a mama, I'm, a, I'm like, I see you. Because yes. I know how hard it is to come forward. And I know how many black parents of mine that literally are like, girl, when I put hmm. that up on IG, girl, what are they going to do? I'm sorry, what did they do? Not what are they going to do? Let's talk about what they did. And I hmm. chose my son because that made him sick. I'm not invested in protecting rich white people. Not, I'm not doing it. At the expense of my child, Never. You got it all the way twisted. Yes. You've got it all the way twisted. Wow. Kim, thank you so much for your for being here today. Thank you.
Can I, I leave, I, could I leave yes, you yes. all with one piece of reading material? Because the school had him as a guest. Please and they do. have not taken his advice. Eddie Moore um, and Allie Mitchell came to Little Red and spoke at the high school um, last year. And um, they co-authored a book called The Guide for White Women Who Teach Black Boys. Ooh. The Guide for White Women Who Teach Black Boys says it all. Um, you can get it um, off of, um, I believe they have a website. You can order it online, any Barnes & Noble. There is no excuse. No excuse. This, and this, this is a, this is a, this is a thick as my King James Bible. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of information. Yes. So no one can say to us, we're crazy. This has been documented that there is a big disconnect and the predominant culture of teachers are white women. And the predominant culture of boys that are criminalized in police are black boys. So it's a big problem. Wow. So I can leave you with that. You, I, you I, know, I, there's no excuse. That's a definite. Thank no you so much for that. If they wanted to get in, if any parents or, or whoever that might be going through something similar or want to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Um, always Kim Hill um, okay. on IG. Don't check my DMs as much as I probably should. Um, but um, Kim Possible Hill at Gmail is my email address. And uh, I have a pretty consistent, uh, you know, I show up on social media and um, I I renamed my IG Always Kim Hill because I've always been about the perspective and the progression of Black people. I left my old band before they became insanely famous Mm -hmm. because they they basically wanted me to be a hoe. And uh, I was like, the price we, ain't even right. <laughs> we didn't get into that. We didn't get into that because we were we were very focused. And we don't have to. Yeah, but I just wanted to say, you know, and, and I didn't make the connect until Blakely told me, but um, just it, it stands to reason why you have such an amazing voice. But it's It speaks to the integrity, right? What happens over there is the same thing that's going to happen over here. You're not going to take any yeah. nonsense. You're not going to... Um, devalue yourself or or move from what you think is right or, or your morals in order to appease anybody else. And we love you for it, Kim. Um, welcome to the Finding Good Times family. I pray that you uh, keep on thank coming you. back and, and keep on <laughs> engaging. And, thank you for and having me. Thank you so much. All right, guys, please stay and re- stick around. I have some business to handle with you guys after. Kim, please stick around. I'll talk to you after. Y'all have a good day. Kim, say bye to the good people. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to our very long-winded, fruitful <laughs> <laughs> conversation. It was good, though. All right, bye. It was really good. Thank you so much. Peace. Guys, the backbone of this platform is the transformative power of stories. The power of sharing experiences with each other, growing from those experiences, expressing our pain, expressing our hurt, expressing our desire to see things be better, places be better, people be better. I enjoyed this conversation so much. I enjoyed the catharsis of this conversation. I enjoyed the perspective of this conversation. I enjoyed the energy and the power of this conversation. Oh man, if you don't know, if you couldn't feel it in 
that conversation, let me tell you just, and that's the first time that me and Kim have talked. The energy, her energy is so palpable. Her voice, so resonant. I thank you so much for being on this episode, Kim. I thank you so much for what you do. And I, I implore anyone in the LREI community, parents, students, alumni, who want to do more, please keep her involved. Please keep her in the loop. Please reach out to her because her voice is something powerful. What's there more to say, guys? It was a great episode. I know it's already ran long, so thank you all for coming back. Thank you all for listening. You know, I love you. I enjoy you. Think good. See good. Do good. But most importantly, be good. Peace. Good people, don't forget to follow Finding Good Times at Finding Good Times on all platforms, at Finding Good Times on all available platforms, and of course, FindingGoodTimes.com. Keep following, keep sharing, keep reposting, most importantly, keep being good. Love y'all.